Uh, if you got your Bibles, I want to invite you to join me in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and then when you make it to Acts chapter 2, if you would hold your place and go to Matthew 28. So Acts chapter 2, hold your place, and then head to Matthew 28. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you fellas very, very much. Uh, and as you're turning there, Acts 2, Matthew 28, I, I want to also just thank Pastor Jake for bringing the word last Sunday, and, uh, and uh, that was a blessing to tune in online. Uh, and uh, we left uh, and headed for Florida, that's where my bride's family are, and it was like in the teens. And then uh, when we left and when we came back, we were sitting on the porch in here, and it was like 71 degrees, so it was a crazy swing of weather there for a few days. Uh, felt kind of like Florida for a little bit, but, uh, but it's so good to be back with y'all. And uh, so, uh, if you've ever been a parent or you've ever been a child, um, you've probably either asked this question or you've been asked this question, all right? And so, I think that's pretty much all of us in the room, and so here is the question. It, well, it's not really a question, it's more of a command, all right? The, the command is this, clean your, anybody want to take a yes? Room. Clean your room, all right? So, uh, so, so parent tells child, clean your room. All right, child disappears for a little while after it's been uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, 30 minutes, an hour, a few hours, I don't know. Child shows back up, shows up to parent, and the child says to parent, parent says, did you clean your room? Child says, not really, but, but I, I went in my room and I reflected on the words that you told me and I reflected on the reality of how, yes, I agree, this room does need to be clean. To which the parent says, so you didn't clean your room. Well, not exactly. Clean your room. And so the child disappears for a little while. And after a little while, comes back. And the parent says, did you clean your room? And the child says, well, not, not exactly, but I memorized what you told me to do. Uh, and, and, and so I can memorize it for you, and here it goes. You said, clean your room. You're like, yes, that, that is parent, that is what I said. Did you clean your room? Well, not really. Clean your room. So the, the, the child disappears for a while, and maybe a day passes, and child comes back. It's time for another conversation. Parent says, did you clean your room? Child says, no, not really, but, but I brought some friends over, and we sat in a circle, and we talked about what it might look like if I obeyed the words that you told me to do, and what that might look like in my life, to which the parent is like, I just want you <laughs> to clean your room. So we hear that, right? A loving parent to their child, clean your room. We have through a relationship with Jesus Christ, a heavenly Father who in His Word has loved us enough, in His grace, given us His desire for our lives as a follower of Jesus. And what does Christ desire is loving obedience. And the main idea of today's message is that in His grace, God has lovingly called us to a life of obedience. That he even said in John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, 
you'll obey my commands. If you love me, you will obey my commands. My kids, if you ask them a question, how many times I've said the words, if you love me, you'll, you'll obey what I'm asking you to do. Why? Because love is connected with action in our lives. We all know that talk is cheap, but that the difference is in the obedience. Jesus said this. He said, all authority, we read it in Matthew 28, so if you're there, if it's on your phone or if it's in your, in your Bible or, or in, you know, a physical copy of God's Word, Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to, and here's the word, observe teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that word observe, depending on what your Bible, what translation you might have, might have a different word in there. But that word means to maintain. It means to keep strictly. It means to watch over. It means to protectively guard. It means to heed. Ultimately, it means to obey. That Jesus has connected the life of a lover of Jesus will reflect loving obedience to what he said. In 1 John 5.3, the disciple John said this, that this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments, I love this, aren't burdensome. Like, if you've ever been in love, you're in love, you do crazy things when you're in love. You're willing to do a lot of crazy things if you're in love. You will do things in sacrifice and service. Why? Because you love them. Why? It is no burden because of the love that you have. It's a joy to serve because of the love relationship that you have. And it is my conviction that as a family of faith, that as we look at the Word and we look at the red letters of Jesus, that we can and will do many things, I pray, that God would use in mighty ways. But we cannot overlook what He has expressly stated, explicitly stated as the mission of His church, and that is to go and to make disciples and that they would be baptized and to teach them to obey Teach them to obey all that I have said. And so we're going to engage in the Word just a little bit different than normal. I've brought a whiteboard. Thank you, fellas, for helping out with the whiteboard. And so I love a whiteboard. Anybody love a whiteboard? Okay, two of us. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. Hey, I love a good whiteboard. Uh, you can ask our ministry team. All, most meetings involve a whiteboard. I, I love them. And so, and so we have a whiteboard. And I drew a line down the center of it. And on the left side of the whiteboard, you will see what the church did. And on the right side, you will see what God did. Now, I just want to say I worked really hard and took a really long time to write those words because I am a horrible writer. <laughs> like, so I just want to say when something goes on the board, I'm just going to let you know you're not going to be able to read it. Okay, <laughs> you can't. But, uh, but, but, but I want us to engage with the word Kind of in a unique way. So if you're a note taker, hopefully you got a, a, a bulletin. 
and jot, jot some notes down or just to observe what we're going to see in the text and we're going to interact with it kind of in a, in a unique way uh, and to see uh, what, what the church did and what, what God did. So again, apologies for the bad handwriting. All right, so as we look at the Word, a little context, we are jumping in Acts 2. Uh, the world has changed forever. Jesus has risen from the dead. He has gathered His disciples. He, he, he did gather with them on the Galilean mountainside, and that's what we just read about, the Great Commission, Matthew 28. But now uh, we're back in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, there's a mountain by the Temple Mount, and it's called the Mount of Olives. And this is where Jesus has gathered with His disciples one more time because He is about to ascend to the Father. And He will come again and is coming again. But this is going to be the last time He's physically with them. And so as He's talking with them, He, he instructs them. He says, don't leave Jerusalem. Don't leave Jerusalem until the promise has come from the Father. The promise that He's speaking of is the Holy Spirit that is going to come and empower them to be a witness. And they're all like, so Jesus, are you going to set up your kingdom now? And He's like, listen, that's for my Father to know. But He says, here's what I want you to know. He says, you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit. And when you receive power from the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And that was his instruction to him. From the very beginning, the church has always been a movement. It's always been a movement, the gospel moving outside the city limits to the next town, the next community, the next country, the next nation. If you think about it, that gospel was faithfully passed down and shared over the seas, through nations, and ultimately to this community that we live in called Olive Branch, Mississippi. Thank God for those faithful witnesses who continue to pass down His Word. And so they, they stayed there in Jerusalem, and there was about 120 believers, and they gathered in an upper room, and they had a prayer meeting. And I love that the church was launched in the middle of a prayer meeting. They were up in the upper room, they were praying, they were interceding, and God sent His promise. He sent the Holy Spirit to empower them and to share the good news, the gospel, with the world. And so if we keep reading in Acts, Peter preaches. I actually want to read a, a little bit of that message in Acts 2, but basically to summarize it, Peter is preaching that Christ the Lord was crucified by sinners for sinners, and that God raised Him from the dead. And at the close of his sermon, Peter says this in Acts 2, verse 36, Let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And he shares the hope of Christ. And then there is the response. And that's where we're going to jump in this morning, but let me just make chase one rabbit just real quick. Peter denied Christ how many times? Anybody know? Three times. Isn't it amazing that when we see Peter before the resurrection of Jesus, that he is the one who's actually trying to hide. 
He's actually the one that's, that's, that's basically wanting to like hide out so the Romans won't find them. And, and he, he's, he's, he's shameful for uh, not honoring Christ and having that courage. But we see before the, before, the, before the tomb was empty, Peter is very, very, um, honestly, he looks fearful. But isn't it amazing that just in a matter of pages in our Bible, that after the glorious resurrection of God and the sending of the Holy Spirit to empower His believers to be a witness, here He is preaching boldly to thousands of people, and He doesn't care who listens. He wants everybody to hear. What's the difference? The power of the Holy Spirit empowering him to share this good news with the world. And so he shares this good news. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, after this message has been shared, the Bible says this, When they heard, those listeners, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. What an encouragement. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words, He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received His word were baptized, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. Like mega church in like an instant. <laughs> there are 120 gathered in an upper room prayer service, empowered by the Spirit. Peter preaches. People respond to the gospel of Christ, repenting and believing, and now there's 3,000 believers. So the question as we look at the text is, so what is happening? What is going on? What is the church doing or what is happening in the church? We see them repenting and believing. And we see them receiving the Holy Spirit. So this is what we see happening. And those who repent of their sin and place their faith and trust in Jesus... They follow in believers' baptism. And this is what's happening in the church. The church empowered by the Spirit of God and the grace of God, the strength of God. But we also see God at work. And what is God doing? He's calling. He's calling hearts to salvation. He's calling out. God is always at work. When the gospel is being shared, God is at work and He's calling hearts to repent and to believe in Him. This is great encouragement as we share the good news with other people. And so the church, repenting, believing, being baptized, God's at work calling sinners who are lost to salvation. In verse 42, the Bible says, "...and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching." They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. But this wasn't just teaching for knowledge's sake. This wasn't just teaching so you could ace that Bible quiz if you have Bible class or like destroy people in Bible trivial pursuit and just like impress the world with how much you know. No, the whole purpose of this teaching was teaching to obey. Teaching to observe 
what Christ has called to do. And so they're teaching obedience to the Word of God and the fellowship. They're loving on each other. They're sharing life with one another. They are in community. They are not alone. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger believer. Or there absolutely shouldn't be. Because God has designed us to pursue living for His glory and His mission with each other. So they're fellowshipping and they're breaking bread. The Bible says the breaking of bread. And so in that culture, we would understand that even in this day, when they talk about breaking bread, they would share communion, what we call the Lord's Supper. And so they're partaking of the Lord's Supper. So they're breaking the bread. They're, they're loving God and they're worshiping God through communion, through the Lord's Supper. And then it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. They're praying together. And if you are an English expert, in our Bibles, there is a definite article before prayers. It's the prayers. And what it's speaking of is a specific event of the body of Christ coming together to pray together. Yes, to pray in solitude and yes, to pray together. And so we see them teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And in verse 43, the Bible says, And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So what was God doing? He was doing the miracles. He was doing the miraculous. I believe God can do anything He wants to do. I believe that with all of my heart. Every time I pray, every time I intercede, every time I hope, I pray believing and knowing that God can do anything. And here we see in this time and place that God chose to authenticate the gospel message going out through signs and wonders. This is what God designed to do. It's what God did. In verse 44, the Bible says, And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They are giving sacrificially. Giving sacrificially. I mean, just think about this. We're talking brand new baby believers in Christ. And here they are seeing modeled before them this, this selling and giving away so that others' needs could be met. So this is what they're doing. This is... What's happening in the life of their church? They're giving sacrificially. In verse 46, the Bible says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. They are loving God through worshiping Him. They're loving God through worship. And here's what I love. They gather in the large group and they gather in the small group. Like this morning in this room at 1045 and then earlier at 8 a.m., we gathered as a larger group of, 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 of our family of faith. And so we read in the Bible that they gathered in the temple, which didn't last long, if y'all know the story. I mean, they were no doubt quickly pushed outside of the temple, but 
here we see what are they doing? They're gathering as a large group and then they're gathering in small group. That's why community through a small group is so important. That's why we dedicate the hour between our services to connecting in groups and discipleship groups and, and, and being connected with one another because that is the design of God of God and living on mission together. And so they're, they're loving God in large group and small group. And then verse 47 at the end says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What's God doing? God is saving. God is at work. And it might even be said that, 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 that this isn't just what the church did. This is what the church, by God's grace, should be doing. And we know what God did. And we know God is always at work. We can't save people. We don't have the power to save people. But we do have the power by the Holy Spirit to share the gospel message. And God rescues the lost soul. He alone can do the miraculous and he is adding to the number daily those who are coming to faith in Christ. And so I think it's just fair enough to just take a quick moment and just all of us be encouraged and reminded of who builds the church. We don't build the church. Jesus builds the church. By His grace, we seek to follow His lead in every area of our lives, our church life, but at the end of the day, it's Jesus who builds the church. I love uh, where there in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus has gathered His disciples for a teachable moment. And He's speaking with Peter over in Matthew 16. And He tells Peter, He says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What Jesus is not saying on you, Peter, on you I'm going to build my church. He's talking about Peter's confession. Because just before that, Jesus said, who do you say I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yes, that's the confession. And on this rock, I will build my church. And keep in mind, they are in Caesarea Philippi, a place that is completely overrun with idol worship. There's actually a cave where people will sacrifice their children and throw them into these caves to worship a false god. And that cave is called the gates of hell. And what, what Jesus is saying is, yes, on the confession that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the gates of hell cannot stop the church. There will always be a church. Always. So we don't have to fear. There will always be a church being a faithful witness for the Lord. But Jesus builds His church. And here is, here is what I love. And this is the moment that I had when I was sitting in Nepal with those, with those missionaries. And this is the moment I had when I was on the airplane reading that book. And this is, the, this is the moment I have in that cohort. We were walking through the Word. This is the moment I've had each time we've, we've as, a, as, a, as a ministry team, we've walked through this multiple times together. It's the same Moment I had at 8 o'clock when we were teaching it. The same moment I'm having right now. It's the aha moment. It's the aha moment because it's like, okay, like Peter preached. People repented and believed. They were baptized. And then how in the world did 3,000 people know how to do this? Like, think about it. Like, like we, don't, we don't see this long gap of, 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 of you know, of, of like, 
training. Let's go on the six-month training course. No, like, what were they doing? They were repenting and believing. They were being baptized, following Christ and believers baptized, and teaching to obey, loving others. Lord's Supper, praying. Couldn't read my writing there for a second. Giving, loving God. How did they know? And it's because of the red letters. It's because this is what Jesus commanded them to do. This is because this is what Jesus has commanded us to do. That in His grace and in His love and in His care, He gave a loving Father to His children this instruction that if they loved Him, they would obey Him. And here we see this now 3,000 member church which, by the way, the Lord was adding to the number daily. So we're just talking about a multiplication gospel movement happening all over the place. And why? Because of the red letters. Because in Mark 1.15, Jesus said, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. We see repentance. We see belief in the gospel. We see receiving the Holy Spirit. Why? Because in Matthew 28, 19, we just read it a few moments ago, but Jesus said, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why were they baptized? Because Christ commanded His followers to be baptized. Well, in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, again, the Great Commission, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Why are they teaching? Because Christ has commanded them. Teach them. Teach them to obey. Teach them to obey the way of Jesus. Matthew 22, 37 and through 39, He said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love God above all. Love others above yourself. We see in Matthew 26, 26 through 29, that Jesus had gathered with his disciples on that Thursday evening. And he says, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, they broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. How did they know to take communion? How did they know to celebrate the Lord's Supper in this act of worship to the Lord? Christ commanded them, this is what you do. This is what I want you to do. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13, pray like this, Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What are they gathering? They're gathering for the prayer. They're gathering for prayer. How did they know? Jesus instructed them, this is what I desire in your life. Matthew, or excuse me, Luke chapter 6, verse 38, he says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured 
back to you. And again in Matthew 6, 1 through 4, what is Jesus communicating? He's communicating giving generously. Time, talent, treasure. How do they know that we sacrifice on our end so that we can be a blessing to others? Christ said, give. Give sacrificially. And so what we have to ask this morning is for the believers in the room, Do our lives reflect what Jesus has commanded us to do? How did they know Jesus commanded them? God does what only God can do. We do by God's grace and His strength what God has called us to do. And He has laid it out so lovingly and graciously before us. So as we look at the word, we say the word disciple and there's all kinds of thoughts that come to our mind. But if a disciple is primarily one who soaks up a lot of Bible knowledge, then the focus of discipleship will be the head. It'll all be here. And if your definition of being disciple is about doing for the Lord, which, by the way, knowledge important, doing for the Lord important. But if your focus is purely on the doing, your focus is on the hands. But complete discipleship is not just a focus on the head, and it's not just a focus on the hands. It's a focus on the heart. Because Jesus knows more than anything else, He wants your heart. Because if you win the heart, the rest takes care of itself. Seek first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added unto you. Jesus wants your heart. If you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, you'll obey me. And his commands will not be burdensome. Jesus wants our hearts. And I just want to throw out a little warning, a little red flag. Okay, so I'm going to wave a red flag. Because there is, there is a challenge in this as we focus on what Christ has commanded us to do. And that is a word that is called legalism. Legalism. Legalism can be best described as having a relationship with God that is based on works over a relationship that is based on grace. Legalism is a focus on what man can do instead of what Christ has done. What Christ has completed for us on the cross that George Robinson says legalism is the antithesis of gospel fruit and should be avoided at all cost. So what we're talking about is the heart. If you love me, you'll obey me. Paul says this in Romans 1.5. He says, through whom, talking about through a relationship with Jesus, he says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying, my obedience to Christ is not based on my ability to work hard and do better. But rather, it is a grace-based strength and empowerment of the Spirit to honor God with our lives. Why? Because we love Him. Because He has lavished His grace on us as we are so undeserving of His amazing grace. True obedience is not an act of self-will for the believer, 
but Spirit-empowered obedience. Grace is the power of our obedience. It's been said that obedience is the fruit, of, is the, is the fruit not the root of our relationship with God. And so as we look at what God says, what Christ says, to do these things, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, and I ask myself the same question, is do you love God? Do you love Him? Because if you love Him, if I love Him, if we love Him as a family of faith, by His grace, by His strength, by His power, we will strive to honor Him. Perfect lives? No. Mess-ups? Yes. Imperfect? 24-7. But the desire is to live out God's design with His help and rest in His grace. And so I encourage us, let's lean in. And let's hear the words of Jesus in a fresh, unmistakable, and profound way. Let's lay our hearts before the Lord and say, I love you. I desire to obey you. And what we're going to do is for the next seven weeks, we're going to just pick each one of these. We're going to walk through each one. What Jesus was commanding us and instructing us. And we're going to do that on Sunday morning. And then we're going to get together on Wednesday night. And then we're going to have a little time together where we just kind of catch up. Uh, But then we're going to go into these rooms that surround this worship center. And we're going to get in discussion groups. And we'll have a facilitator. And we're just going to talk about the Word. We're just going to talk about engaging and relating with the Word of God. And that what better way to start the new year than to chase after what Christ has called us to together. And so it could be that you are that believer who is a brand new Christian. Maybe a few months, maybe a a couple years. This is going to be an awesome journey. I encourage you to take each step with us as we follow after Jesus together. The second person uh, or, or, or that third person I mentioned, if you have walked with Jesus for decades, I was a Christian. I became a Christian when I was 10 years old. I am 44 years old. 44 minus 10 is 34. I'm going to hope I get that right. 34. So I have been in a relationship with Jesus for 30, 30, I just made up a word, 34 years of my life. 34 years. Perhaps you have been walking with Jesus For 10 years, for 20 years, for 30 years, for 40 years, for 50 years, for 60 years, for 70 years, for 80 years, for 90 years. And it is perhaps what we need more than anything is a spiritual revival and awakening in our hearts to the Lord. How many of y'all grew up going to a revival meeting or have been to a revival? And uh, many of you maybe... um, So the thing about revival is this, is that there was a fire that was once there. But the fire has waned. And there's a need for a fresh fire. God help us bring a fresh fire of love and devotion through us for Him. And 
the encouragement is this. If you're a new believer, hang on for the ride. It's going to be a blessing. If you desire renewal and spiritual or, or revival in your heart, it's going to be an awesome adventure. Pray for it. Believe it. Get in the Word. Engage with the Word. Pray in God's grace, His strength. Follow after Him. But here's also, perhaps you are here and you do not have a relationship with Jesus and what, what, need, what the need is in your heart is not revival and not renewal. You need an awakening, a spiritual awakening in your heart to your sinfulness and your need for a Savior and this invitation always from Jesus in His grace saying, I love you, I desire a relationship and to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus for salvation. He desires that relationship with you. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to go into a song. And as we do, can I, can I encourage all of us? Engage with the Lord through prayer in this time. David James is going to sing a song over us. But as he does, I encourage you. Sing, obviously, as you feel led to sing. But I encourage you to pray and engage with the Lord. and Ask the question, God, what do you desire? Or perhaps it's, God, I need a fresh fire. I need a fresh wind. I need a fresh awakening. God is faithful and He's worthy. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your love and for Your care. And God, thank You for Your graciousness toward us. God, that You have shown us Your desire for us, Your design for us, you have shown us the way of Jesus. And God, that you have not asked us to live this out in our own strength, in our own wisdom, and in our own power, but rather the complete opposite. We can't follow after you apart from your grace and your Holy Spirit's power. And so, Father, remind us and encourage us, God, that we are not at this on our own, but as a believer, through the power of the Spirit, and through the community of the family of faith and the power of your word, God, that we would follow after you. There's so many things we could do, so many things we should do. But God, more than all, may we hear your voice and lovingly obey. Because it's a joy. It's not burdensome to serve sacrificially and selflessly the one who gave everything so that we could be free and forgiven and made right with God. So Father, I pray for that young disciple that they will grow in their walk with you. I pray for the believer who has walked with Jesus for decades. God, I pray for a fresh wind, a fresh fire, a fresh renewal, a fresh revival in our hearts, God. And God, I pray through this, Lord, through this time and each day, you would continue to add to the number day by day those who are being saved. I pray the lost would repent and believe in you for life and forgiveness and glory for your glory. God, we love you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.